0: what's up fellas welcome back to combos over Cold brew with me your host emma abrahamson i am so excited for today's episode today we have on alexi pappas who you guys probably know her as the professional runner and also she has created two movies she just wrote a book called bravey she also did grad school at the university of oregon so we have met a couple times and yeah this episode was awesome i really loved recording it so stay tuned Alexi, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. To get started, do you want to just give a rundown of who you are and what you're about?
1: Yes. So my name is Alexi Pappas, and I am a 2016 Olympian in long distance in the 10K. And I am an actress and now author of the book, Bravey, with a forward by Maya Rudolph.
0: Man, I didn't even know how to describe you because you have so many different passions, uh, which I find really inspiring. And that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast, because... Not only have I known you as a runner, but the interest that you have outside of running or something that I feel like is kind of like uncommon, I guess, in the running world. Like you don't see that many filmmakers or writers that are um, coming out while also professionally running. So I'm excited to dive deep into your brain and have a good conversation. Um, So to start off, I just kind of wanted to talk about like how you got your start in running and if you had any other hobbies growing up too. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I... Definitely was like a all-around kid, meaning loved a lot of sports and also did a lot of theater and, you know, cared about having friends and and all that stuff. And so the running really came about because it happened to be like my strength in a lot of these other sports. And I think I, I enjoyed other sports before I loved running, and I think that was because I love the team element that I felt on like my soccer teams and my basketball and softball teams. And my running, I think felt like, you know, I ran in middle school and for a part of high school, but it felt like I really didn't like begin my running, um, like the joyful part of it until college. And that was when I found a team at Dartmouth and a coach that felt kind of like that, that energy that I had in soccer and other sports that I so loved.
0: So you went to Dartmouth first and then you went to Oregon for your master's, I believe, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, what's interesting is that the a, a lot of, it's called a transfer, even if you graduated. And I think it's actually important to say, like I graduated from Dartmouth. I had um, a cross country and an indoor season left and I did a fifth year and grad school at Oregon. Um, because I think when we use that word transfer, it like sends this message. People are like, what, what didn't you like about Dartmouth? I'm like, I loved Dartmouth. And I've also loved my fifth year at Oregon.
0: I feel like those two schools had to have such like a different experience. I mean, just academics wise, um, athletics wise, obviously Oregon, huge emphasis on running. Um, but how did you choose Dartmouth? Did you, Were you recruited out of high school?
1: I was recruited and I did a number of recruiting visits. And when I went to Dartmouth, I felt like it was this summer camp environment. And it was like totally unfamiliar. You know, it was across the country. I grew up in the Bay area. So it felt really different, but it felt like a place I could love. And also the team just felt like I wanted to hang out with these girls more. And I think that matters. It also felt like a school where I would be happy if I were or were not was not running. And that was so important to me um, because I think had I felt too much pressure on the running, it would have like you know, imploded on me. And I think that that is important because some people are ready for like an Oregon when they're 18 years old, but I was not. I was ready for like a Dartmouth, what it was at the time, which was like an up and coming team, you know?
0: Did you have a hard time balancing the academic side of it with running? Because I can't even imagine going to like an Ivy League school and running full-time. I feel like you just have to be so busy.
1: I did have trouble. I, I don't even think I can blame the running so much as I was unprepared for the academic rigor at Dartmouth. And I was, you know, my, I failed like several tests in the first term and I remember calling my dad and being like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not good at running right now. Cause I was like not in great running shape when I got there because I'd played soccer for the last two years of high school. So I was like strong and durable but I wasn't like uh, aerobically fit. Uh, And then these classes were just like killing me, honestly. And I think I really had to rely on my ability to like work hard where some people, I think when they go into those schools, they've been more prepared for the academic setting. And so maybe it's even easier than their prep high schools. But for me, it was certainly harder. And I had to, you know, sit down with my professors and go through every answer on a test and figure out why was I choosing the second best answer and not the best answer. And it felt very humbling, but also kind of empowering because I could learn how to learn. And I did eventually graduate in like the top, I don't know, like five percent of my class, top of the English program. It just took a lot of hard
0: work, you know? That's really impressive. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um and then I really like what you said about liking like enjoying the school outside of running too, because I feel like a lot of people if they're going into schools being recruited for sports. It's like, that's their main focus. And I know it is a huge part of the college experience if you're competing at any division, but it is so important to like the school beyond the sports aspects, because say you get injured sometime, you're going to spend time not with the team and you're going to have to find things outside of running or outside of the sport that you play to have interest in, or like, I don't know, you spend so much time in your classes and stuff too. You need to enjoy the area, enjoy the atmosphere i guess so i really like that point that you made
1: yeah i mean it's funny because it actually the first cross-country meet that our team had i was not on the travel squad you know technically that was like one of that was my red shirt season because i had some i had shin splints because i was really out of shape and so i wasn't allowed to travel to this first race and i remember my only friends that i had made were on the cross-country team during preseason. And so I was really lonely and I got all these emails that were, um, asking for students to come out and audition for this improv group. And I went, cause I was like, well, I don't really have anything to do this weekend. I'm not at the meet. And so I went and auditioned and that became like a really important piece to my experience. And it was a good counterbalance to the running because, you know, improv theater Uh, while we really, you know, wanted to be good and took our craft seriously. And this was the same group that Rachel Dratch and Mindy Kaling were in years prior. It was still really different than the running. And I think it was a good like social
0: and um, other, you know, it was just a good counterbalance, you know, definitely get to focus on something else that you enjoy and finding like other passions outside of running. But I know it can be so hard to Like find the time to do that if you're so focused on school and running. But I feel like it is such an important thing to do, especially to just like lead you into the next part of life too. I don't know, just finding other things outside of your sport, which I've talked about a lot on this podcast, but.
1: Well, and I think you can relate because, you know, the campus was sort of set up for that because, you know, it reminded me a little bit of the Oregon campus. Um, At Oregon, the campus was small compared to the amount of students. And so I actually think, you know, and Dartmouth's campus was small and the school is smaller than Oregon, but there was a, because it was small, getting from one thing to the other was like possible. It's not like you're driving across the city. And so I think college is a really unique time in that most, a lot of campuses um, are set up so that you might be able to like get from practice to rehearsal within like five
0: minutes or something, you know?
1: Yeah. So it was set up for that a little bit too.
0: Yeah. That's super nice. Did, when did you decide to go to Oregon? Like what made you decide? Cause that is like a big switch, but you see a lot of people from the Ivy league going to Oregon. So.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think part of it is seeing people do it before you. Um, and I remember I was really set and all ready to go to grad school for poetry. And I got into some of the top programs in the country that were like fully funded. And that felt like a very um, safe and prestigious path. And to be honest, it was one of my teammates who also did a fifth year at Oregon, Matt, who told me that I might, you know, why don't you think about Oregon? And he was all in the running, you know, environment. This was like, Uh, when social media was just starting so like I didn't even know that much and he was like why don't you think about this and to be honest it was the people who are advising me in the creative world so like my poetry advisor who really encouraged me to um, pursue this like running path while I had this this door open while I had my body like this and um, I talk about this in my book Bravey but that confidence from the creative side was so important and that was actually it was really unexpected because i expected that it would take you know my running coach mark coogan pushing me towards oregon to, to have the courage to do it but it was actually the opposite it was having courage from the mentors in the creative world and um and for me it was such a privilege because my one point at oregon meant so much like my one team point right it meant the difference between us winning losing a national title like literally and that was a real gift um but talk about the differences you know I have this tattoo behind my ear that is a lone pine and it's a Dartmouth lone pine and I got it with my teammates uh including Abby D'Agostino who uh we ran in the national championship with the DMR my senior year at Dartmouth and the reason why we got this tattoo was because we did not expect to go to nationals. We certainly did not expect a podium and we got third and we were so happy. Like we were crying on the podium. Like we were so happy because it was like, not a likely scenario that we even made it to the nationals. And I remember the Oregon girls were there that I was, I was going to join their team in a couple of months. And they got second to Washington and they did not show up to the award ceremony. And it was really, um, I think it was a big moment. And I remember Vin turning to them and saying, look at those Dartmouth girls. You'd think they won the world. Like you guys need to get up there. And that's where I understood the difference in, in, the, in the expectation on the athletic side between the two schools. Because here we were, we got third and we were just like bawling our eyes out. Now I have a permanent tattoo on my head because <laughs> of it. And this team that I was about to join had such a higher expectation for themselves. And that's okay. It just is different, right? How did you adapt to that then? Well, I think I was mature enough at that point and good enough and you know, stable enough, like as a person and an athlete to step into that arena. And again, I think it goes back to like knowing yourself and knowing that it's good to go into, into, um, into worlds that we feel like are maybe a half step ahead of us, but not five steps ahead of where we are, right? So like, it's nice to have something to grow into, but if I had gone to Oregon, three years earlier, I know I would have drowned. Like I just, I wasn't ready. And when I did the fifth year, I was ready. I was ready to like contribute and to just be a real ad, which I think a fifth year, it should be someone It you should just want to add right to a team. And and I also saw how fifth years could detract if if they were not in a generous place in their life, if they were not able to like be stable right and that's a really tricky dynamic
0: yeah man you have like a, such a mature way of looking at it i i wish i looked at it like that as like an 18 year old you know going into college but i guess but I you just don't yeah
1: and i didn't when i was 18 like i was yeah. going to parties and doing a lot of other things when i was 18 and that's why i didn't put myself in the environment where i wouldn't have just it would have felt too
0: daunting i think at that yeah. age I feel like a lot of people don't really realize that until you're in this situation too. It's like, you don't know what, I don't know. I mean, at least I didn't know when I was going to college, I didn't really know what to expect. Everything is just kind of like, I don't know, you figure it out freshman year, I guess. That's why it's such a a big adjustment year for a lot of people. And you hope that there's gonna
1: be like leadership or captains or people that can like help you because what else do you know other than the, the guidance of those people, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. What was your favorite, this is like for my own bias, what was your favorite experience at Oregon that you had?
1: Oh my gosh. I was so, first of all, I was so happy there. Like I, I know that people have a range of experiences there and mine was really, really positive. I think, um, man, just, I mean, winning the national title in cross country was a really cool moment because it's such a team sport and it is it was so important that each of us ran, um, like our own races with integrity and in a different way. Like I, um, ran a really different tactical race than Jordan in that race, even though I only finished like, you know, a handful of places behind her. I started so far back and like, I don't know, I just remember like feeling, uh, so lucky to be a part of something that like I could matter in and that's something that i that i also talk about in the book is that like i really really want to matter and i really want to be a part of teams and projects where like i can contribute and i think that was like the manifestation of that where like i did matter and i had a whole team around me where each of us were
0: like kind of dying out there for each other you know yeah that definitely makes sense it's and it's hard to find kind of that team aspect in the individual sport so when you have I mean days like that where everyone comes together on the same day and like you accomplish something together I feel like it just means so much more than it does to like have an individually good race I don't know at least to me I mean I'm a team person as well so yeah oh it's totally different
1: and even in individual like like leaning races like let's say you're running the 5k and your teammates running the 10k or like the if there's any way for us all to like spin it somehow so that it's still a team it's always better yeah it's better to feel like you're out there with people and it's interesting because I do think that after college all we're ever trying to recreate is that feeling of team and it can be crafted but it's just um I wish for everybody who wants for themselves that team NCAA experience that they have it and I hope that everybody gets like a good one because the good version of it is really really um, unmatched, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. That's what Marisa, our coach would always talk about is everyone after college is trying to recreate that team environment. And I feel like professional teams are doing a better job of it now. I mean, you see a lot of different groups that are forming. So do you think it's improved over the years? Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's
1: so many more teams that people can be a part of now. Like the barrier to, to find that is so much lower and that's great. Um, it's, it's just very cool. So yes, it is, it is more and more abundant. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Have you seen the new Hayward field? Have you been able to go around in it?
1: I want to go so badly. Like we um, I've been there, you know, I think the last time I went was like a part of my honeymoon. We swung through Eugene because I love Eugene. I love it. Yeah. And we wanted to go back this year and we had plans like several times. Cause we have dear friends there but just like, it didn't make sense to travel there. Right. It wasn't, it didn't feel responsible. And I think now it's the next place that I would love to go back, you know? Yeah,
0: man, it is wild. It sticks out on, on campus. It's crazy. It's huge.
1: Wow. Like, I mean, you know, I think it's, it is going to, it was, that was going to happen, I think at some point and it's interesting Well what's fun now is that Tracktown the movie I made is like a historical relic now because there's so much in the old Hayward field that that movie takes place in so it's fun to at least have that as like a memory.
0: Yeah okay I want to talk about the Tracktown movie like what made you decide to film it that's such a crazy endeavor that I can't even imagine like everything that has to go in that. And I watched it and it was so fun to watch probably cause I'm biased. Cause I mean, at the time I lived in Eugene and I was also a comedian at the University of Oregon. So I think I was just, I had a special place. It had a special place in my heart, but.
1: That's great. Well, that just means that the movie was like specific and spoke to like a real experience. And I think, you know, we made it for a number of reasons. One, it was like a story that I could uniquely tell and that's always important when you're trying to like make a career in a in a in an industry where you know you you need to make something that you can uniquely make and so that was like a world that I had unique access to and also I was a part of that community enough that we could film in places that people can't film normally like to be in in the you know in the underwater treadmills you know at the cast is like a big deal. Like nobody brings cameras in there. Like that, no way. And so it was a really like special opportunity. And also I think it was a story that I don't think I could tell forever. Like today, it would be harder for me to access that emotional core of like chasing an Olympic dream, living in Eugene. You know, I haven't lived there for a while. And so I think it was one of those things that like I told it when I could and um, it was also a learning by doing thing. And I think you could probably relate to that too of you know, we can go to school to learn certain things, but it's also important to just try a thing. And that was like my first big movie that I wrote and directed and started and produced. And it was just a big education too. And, and Eugene is a great place to learn. Like it's a, it's a great place to grow. And so I felt kind of safe doing it there because it was like, you know, a nice like fertile, safe,
0: homey plot of soil. Yeah, it's not like it's L.A. and you're trying to film in L.A. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What did you learn from making that movie? Like, what was your one takeaway?
1: I think I learned that if that we will always be prouder of something in retrospect, because I think I was really hard on myself, you know, during the process. And even, you know, when the movie came out, I was like, oh, there's so many things we could have done differently. And yes, like learn those lessons. But also I've been more and more proud of that movie as years go by because I understand just like that was me trying my absolute best at that time. And that's all anything is that we make. It's not an example of something we would make when 10 years later, it's exactly what it was. And so I think it taught me to like try my best in any moment that I'm in and, and assume that that is genuinely my best. Um, and it also taught me that I could make something happen because it was nothing, it was just an idea and and we made it all happen and and it was totally worth it.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask like, what is the first step? Like say someone has an idea, they're like, I wanna make a movie. What do they, where do they go from there?
1: Yeah, well, there's two ways I think that people go about it. One is trying to like work with a bigger team from the start. Like you can, movies, like huge movies start at studios, like a Marvel movie or like any, you know, a lot of movies that we see Um, they start with a bigger team and a studio that takes it on and that's wonderful but if you're in the position that we were in where we we weren't even in a conversation where we could sit down with a studio you can also make it yourself and I think it starts with figuring out what your goal is and what is the minimum amount of resources you need to get to that goal so you know we were not going to make we needed to make the movie we could make and so I think for anybody trying to make something like that, figure out what you can make, given like your reach at that moment, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. How did that movie compare to the other movie that you made, the Olympic Dreams, which I have yet to watch, but it looks so cool. I literally just watched the trailer. I was like, okay, I'm definitely watching this on Amazon later.
1: <laughs> yes. So they were, they were really different. Olympic Dreams, we shot in the Olympic Village at a real Olympics. And we made it with Nick Kroll and we made it with actually a much smaller crew than TrackTown because you can't bring that many people into the village. And so it was just Jeremy, Nick Kroll and myself. And so even though it was a bigger movie project, it was a smaller crew. And again, like I feel like every step of the way in in my career, I've been able to grow to the point where like more people are willing to hear the idea and I can wear fewer hats. So with TrackTown, I... You know raised all the money and wrote all the scripts and blah 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 like I did everything and now you know with Olympic Dreams I had bigger team available to me so the Olympics was super supportive and you know other other teammates came on you know back to our theme of teammates um, and the movie you know did it it, it maybe reached a bigger audience and uh, it's opened the door for now a television show that we're working on really exciting, um, still sort of secret, but it's just been a real privilege to have the goal of every project be that it is good and speaks to you know the authentic world that it's in, but it also allows us to keep growing.
0: And that is, it's so cool that you can literally make two movies. I don't, I, that's something that just blows my mind. And also you just wrote a book, which is very exciting. And something I also know nothing about is writing a book. Um, So what, what, like, what was the catalyst for writing the book?
1: Yeah, the book, so the book came about after, right around the Olympics, like right after, and it was, I think it was just like, I knew that I had certain experiences in my life, like from really tough experiences with my mom and her depression and her like suicide to my own you know, extreme highs at the Olympics and other pinnacles. And I also like knew that I love words and I have a grasp over words. And that that felt like something that went beyond the capability of sharing on social media. And it did feel like appropriate to try this medium. Um, I love memoirs, like I love them. I soak them up like like mentors, you know? And I think if I could add to that tradition and just, you know, do my best with it. I wanted to try that. And just like track town, I think I didn't want to assume that I would feel that way forever, that I would feel like writing it forever. And I, because I felt that I could, and I had people who are willing to team up and make it happen. I took, you know, that moment to do it.
0: What has been the most rewarding out of all three? I mean, I know Bravy's pretty recent, but what do you yeah. think so far?
1: I honestly, the book, like hands down the book. I mean, if one of the most meaningful things is there, there are a few, like, I mean, there are a few like older people that have reached out to say that it speaks to them. And that's, that's amazing. But I think it's the teenagers. There've been like a few really, really amazing messages I've gotten where these teenage bravies are like, look, I hate reading books. Like I don't like books. <laughs> and I could not put your book down. And I love the idea that it was like this thing to them where they like stayed up all night and it felt like this, like conversation between us. And it was like permission for them to both believe in themselves with whatever they wanted to do, but also feel like they could come from any vantage point and feel anything in this moment. Cause we all know teenage years feel like a roller coaster and that they could, you know, relate to me. Yeah. And so I think that's been the most meaningful moment is being like this book speaks to people that that books don't always speak to,
0: you know? Do you want to give like a little summary of what the book kind of goes through like the progression
1: yeah yeah so it's a memoir and essays which is my favorite format because it doesn't have a narrative arc it's more of an emotional arc and it starts with leave you know losing my mom at a really young age and seeing some really powerfully difficult stuff with her and having that understanding of the world that was like challenging from the start of like wow this person left and she chose to leave and like what does that mean for me and what does that mean about the world like this world that I'm now entering is the world like a terrible place that's going to keep taking things from me and I think I had that choice what am I going to suppose to like take everything I could from the world and see it as an abundant an abundant place and so the book takes us through like finding female mentors and like really like fishing for them, like not just coming upon them, um, but like seeking them out. And I think podcasts, audiobooks, like those are in the roster of mentors for me, because when I've not been in the same room as people that I admire, I put myself in a room with them by listening to their voice and by seeking them out in this kind of way. And then the book, you know, it takes us through some fun, funny, awkward memories, like from athletic, you know, to social, to boys, to otherwise, you know, everything. And then, you know, we come to the Olympics and I think we, I, what I learned is that I would have to like come to a new understanding of like my own mental health. And I experienced a post-Olympic depression that um, I've since shared about, but did not really share until I wrote the book. And I developed a vocabulary to see my brain as a body part. And I think that was another motivation to write this book was to share the vocabulary that might help people see their situation differently, whether it's like they're chasing a dream or they feel like, you know, they wanna die, you know? So um, yeah, the book has a big emotional arc. And I think uh, there's something in there for everyone.
0: This episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is the first USDA-certified organic meal kit company. They make eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle, so whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or just looking to eat healthier, there's a range of recipes to suit any kind of diet or preference. Their ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped, so you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. You guys already know I absolutely love Green Chef. When my Green Chef box arrives, I get so excited because I know that night I'm about to whip up a dinner. It's going to make me feel like a chef. It's going to take like 30 minutes and the meals just taste so freaking good. They're just so flavorful, like way more flavorful than anything I can make on my own because, you know, I don't like to branch out when when I'm just making my meals, but when my Green Chef box comes, ooh we are chefing it up in the kitchen and it's taste gourmet. Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh and with a wider array of meal plans to choose from, there's something for everyone. I like to switch between the brands depending on how my taste buds change. If you guys are interested, go to greenchef.com 90coldbrew and use code 90coldbrew to get $90 off including free shipping. That is greenchef.com slash 90coldbrew and use code 90 cold brew to get $90 off, including free shipping. You came out with that New York Times, um, what do you call it? Like a video? Hop doc. Yes. Hop doc. Um, yeah. That was really empowering or like inspiring to a lot of people, I think, in the running world and beyond. I mean, just any sport, regardless. Like, I I know a lot of runners who have gone through something similar, but no one has really talked about it. And then I think, I don't know if it's like taboo, but. The mental health side of professional sports or like even collegiate sports, I feel like is something that it's starting to come to more of a common topic to talk about, but I feel like the piece that you put out was just so powerful. And I think it had a big impact on a lot of people. I mean, I know it, it did me, it had a big impact on me. So I'm sure that a lot of people felt the same way. Like what, I know the book you said inspired you, but what like made you want to put it in the New York times?
1: yeah i think just knowing that i was aware that people are talking about it more and that there there's like there's a we're breaking down like the stigma more but i felt like there was a lack of like solutions there was just like this feeling of let's make sure people know this exists which is step one right yeah. so that awareness and like making it more normal to talk about or feeling those things that's great but I needed to learn tools when I felt that way to get out of it. And I think that that flip of the switch in the mind that I had about learning that my brain was just a body part and it could get injured like any other and it could heal like any other was a total like visual switch in my mind. And so I wanted to share that with the hopes that if somebody's in that situation or even before, because I think like if, if I understood it before, I wouldn't have been so afraid of it happening to me. And if I had had like little symptoms, I would have approached it more like a physical injury where, look, if I don't sleep one night, or if my like hip feels weird, I'm not going to just do the same workout and press through. And if I had that metaphor for my brain, where these little tasks or these little symptoms, sorry, um, might indicate like, I need to pause. I probably would have paused sooner. Just like we do with our body, hopefully, you know? And I don't know. I mean, I know like you've been outspoken about having a journey of your own. I mean, I don't know if you felt like you didn't have vocabulary or if you felt like you were alone or like what was your you know, experience like? Because you are an amazing athlete, but I also think you have more that you've contributed to the world since by sharing about your own like journeys, you know?
0: Yeah. What I think for me, what I wish I had, especially in college, was just like someone to talk about the mental health side with. And I know we had a sports psychologist at one point, but I honestly don't think it was enough. And like, I don't think many people knew about it either. And we also didn't have like a running sports, like a running specific one, which I mean, all sports are so different in the struggles that people go through. And I didn't start seeing the sports psychologist that we had in our like JQA center until like literally one month before I graduated, because I didn't even know it existed. And I felt so alone for so long. Just, I had a lot of like body image issues. That was the number one thing I struggled with. And then when I started posting on social media, like it only got worse because then I had outside eyes of people like commenting on stuff. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: that's when I like made the effort. I was like, maybe I should go like talk to someone about this because I was like, I, it was something I struggled with every single day. And I didn't feel like it was talked about well enough. And I don't know, like on our team, like people didn't really talk about it. And yeah, it was all about physical injuries. No one was talking about the mental side other than like, all right, let's mentally prepare to do well at this race, you know? Yeah, the mental side has like two
1: sides to it. There's like the performance side, which is great. And you need that if you're even okay enough to like dance in that conversation. But before that, you need safety and like the basic like feeling that you're, you know, okay and so it sounds like some of us like had experiences where we like thought our goal was like fitness and performance when there was something like much more needed which was a goal to just be healthy what mentally and physically
0: yeah Um, exactly because like I could be the fittest I've ever been I literally like was the fittest I've ever been in college and I was so like just not happy and I don't even know really what caused it but it was like I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've crawled out of it now, but I think it's just, I went through some like really hard times in college. So I just don't want people to feel alone. Like I did And that I don't want to like, talk bad about any of like my teammates or my coaches because no one even knew because I wasn't talking about it. I just want from my experience, the reason why I put out so much stuff on like the internet or share my experiences, because I want other people to feel like, you know what, you're not the only one going through this situation, though I may not have all the tips to get out of it. That's what I really loved about your videos. You actually provided, you know, resources and helpful things to help you get out of the situation because a lot of what I've been doing or what I've done over the years is just kind of share my experience and I'm still learning. I mean, I'm only 24. I'm still learning how to like navigate all this, navigate post-college life. So Yeah, I don't know, I really resonated with your video though and I know a lot of other people did too, so. Thank you,
1: well, I think it's cool because you have kind of, I think you've demonstrated by your way of your actions how people can, you know, shift how they feel because it really isn't, I think what I learned is that it really isn't possible to make ourselves feel anything different. Like feelings can't be shifted by forcing them but we can like adjust our actions. And I think what's fun is seeing you explore this medium and the other things that you've been doing as like ways to see if they help the world and also help you. And I'm sure that they do both, you know? Yeah, exactly.
0: One thing I was curious about for you is like, you're a huge role model in the running world and beyond. And how do you deal with that? Like say when you were going through the post Olympic era, how did you deal with being a role model, but feeling the way that you felt and like going through something so hard as depression?
1: It was, that was the worst part to be honest, was feeling different, Um, feeling like the way the world saw me did not match how I felt about myself. And I think that is one of the hardest things about like mental illness because it's like this invisible thing. And if we feel ashamed about it or we feel like it's our fault or we don't, we really don't understand that it's an injury then we truly feel like we've, we are spoiled and that we're choosing this. Like if you don't, if we don't see it as an injury, then it's easy to take blame. And that's what I did for so long, you know, for, for, a you know, longer than I should have longer than I needed to. And that was because I did not understand that I was injured and I didn't understand that it was an injury. And um so It was hard because I kept trying to like perform to the world. And the world will have you if like they admire you, they'll have you. And it's not the world, the world might not detect, you know, what you're able to hide. Um, And I don't think it was the world's like business to know when I was going through it. Like it's not everybody's business. If you, if you are trying to like heal yourself and you really like it doesn't serve you to share, um, that's fine. But I do think I, for a long time, put myself in positions to like compromise that healing because I was trying so hard to maintain whatever that was, um, not realizing that the foundation of me was like just not there. And so I think, you know, and when I think about my mom, I think it was the same thing for her, where she was trying to be like a mom and a working mom and just a lot of things while she was sick. And this was like during a time when, mental illness was even less, you know, it was very taboo. And that crushed her, I think. So now I think we are moving in a direction where like, if we can accept it as an injury, then we can approach it like an injury where, you know, if you have a torn, whatever, torn tendon or broken leg, it's, it's fine. If you don't like share it on your social media, not every athlete does, but it is important to share it with like your coach, your family. It's hard to get help, right? And I think those are the steps that that I'm hoping people are able to take with more, you know, kindness to themselves.
0: Yeah. What was the, what was like the catalyst for you deciding that it's an injury or that maybe that you need to get help for this?
1: Yeah. So I got help because my dad who had seen what my mom went through made me get help. So it was not like I was running to get help. I was not. And I just didn't understand that I needed it. So he made me, he made my appointments. I went and I, the understanding about the injury metaphor was from that doctor. He like sat me down. He was like, look, you know, based on what you've told me, I was really honest with him because I just like, didn't have anything to lose. He was a total stranger. I was like, whatever, here's everything that's coming out of my brain. Um, And he was like, you are sick and you have an injury. It's like a scratch on your brain and it's okay. It's like when you fall down, you get a scratch, it is injured and it's going to take some time but it can heal. And I think that like totally flipped the switch for me because I was like, oh, I can heal. Like I, I expect to heal. And And mostly when you feel that way, the depression or whatever mental illness, you usually feel like you're gonna feel that way forever. And so that was the big shift was like, oh no, I can heal. And also, I can expect that it's going to take time. So I'm not going to wake up every day so offended that I still feel sad, but I am going to focus on the actions that will eventually lead me out of that sadness.
0: It's such a unique way to look at it. And I feel like it will help a lot of people, especially runners who have this mindset of like, they know what a physical injury feels like. And maybe they don't know how to navigate the mental health side of things. So I think. It just puts it into such good perspective for athletes, especially. I, I just think yeah.
1: everything. Like if you're like, what do I do? And you're like, well, what would you do if your leg was hurt? Like, yeah. You know, it's like X, Y, Z. You do yeah. X, Y, and Z, you know.
0: So what steps did you take? Like what you were yeah. diagnosed with the injury, let's say. The injury. And, and oh, what I... steps did you do? <laughs>
1: Well, I think so. Like I learned that I was injured. And so I shifted my focus as we do with a physical injury from focusing on um like performance and like, you know, fitness, if you will, right to health. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I just need to be healthy in my mind. And this is my number one goal. And I think that's what people who are injured in their like leg or whatever should also do. And some of us have trouble flipping that switch. I mean, try to do two things at once. We're like, we want to stay fit and heal. And it's like, well, make sure your priorities are in line. So I switched my priorities and my psychiatrist, psychologist, he was the same, he did both, he became my coach. And I went and saw him three times a week or more. And it was like, this is practice. And I did what he said and not everything resonated with me. Just like when we are healing an injury, not every rehab exercise is gonna feel like helpful to you. Right? And that's okay but I tried the things that he told me and I just tried to like visualize myself as like a soup that was, that was, that had some ingredients that we were putting in and then it was going to take time. And so I just kept showing up and I was sad every day, but I was less offended by my sadness. Cause I knew I was like on a journey. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it, it helped so much to be like, this is my program now. This is my Olympic dream, you know?
0: When did you think you started seeing improvements?
1: Yeah, so, okay, so I started feeling like not great, like, you know, December, January of 2017, I didn't get help for several months and then I got help, you know, I wanna say like April-ish, like it was It was a couple months. And then I started to see and feel hope after about t- three months of, of, of like, I started to feel like, um, this glimmer of like oh i i have moments where i don't feel so bad and so it took a couple of months which is not so long in the scheme of a lifetime it felt long but you know i think in in july or so i started to have these like hopeful moments which became mm-hmm. hopeful hours which became hopeful days and so yeah it took a couple months and then you know from there it just started to like become more I started to feel like lighter in the mind, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, that's amazing. And I'm so glad that you've been able to share all of this with everyone because I'm sure you've inspired so many people. And yeah, I don't know. It just means a lot to me personally too. So that, that's especially why I wanted to have you on the podcast. I was like, I need to have her on because I'm trying to get people that inspire me, regardless if it's running yeah. or not, but like just in day-to-day life. And you're definitely someone that fits that that bill in my book. So
1: I like that you're like, I want to surround myself with people that I want to surround myself with. And you do, like, why wouldn't you?
0: It's great. Exactly. Um, To close out the episode, I have some listener questions that people ask on our Instagram. Um, So we'll just run through them really quick. Uh, Do you have any plans after your running career that you know of?
1: Yeah, so I'm still running and I have eyes on just making that marathon feel like my friend. Um, and then I want to like I want to just you know keep doing my acting and film work and and I love acting I mean it feels like a performance just like running does it feels like you're part of a team so like it doesn't feel so different to me but it does feel like something I'm like endlessly curious about
0: yeah that's so awesome i'm excited to see what that has in store for you and the marathon of course too (laughs) tackling that beast um what is something that makes you happy and motivated
1: well something that makes me happy is cooking um it's like the number one thing that restores my willpower and i know that like whenever i'm feeling like overcooked or just adrenally fatigued i just need to like cook something or just know that something's cooking and I think um that is something that I like really really enjoy and 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 watching you know Top Chef and these like competition shows I like those and then something that makes me feel motivated is listening like getting some perspective so like listening to an interview with someone I admire watching a really like amazing movie so I think just like I draw re- inspiration from outside of myself and that really helps.
0: Nice, that's awesome. Um do you have any tips for like race anxiety?
1: Yeah. Um well, I think to take some time a couple days before your race and just try to anticipate the moments that you think will be challenging for you, like if it's a course you know, if it's a road race, maybe it's like a hill or something like that. Um, And just try to give yourself the chance to watch yourself already go through those moments before the race. So that when you get to those moments, you've already like conquered them in your mind. And I think that's like one thing we can do. Um, That's one thing. And second thing, I mean, all these things are about like controlling what you can control, like laying out your race uniform, like preparing all the the meals that you're gonna have for the 48 hours before, or, or just like as much as you can, like grounding your preparation in like something very real. And like, uh, because nervousness, first of all, is cousin to excitement. And it just means it can be a good thing. But second of all, I think it can feel like a cloud when everything's up above us. We're like, let's just like nail this down. Like, what am I eating? Like, where are my clothes? What, am, when am I gonna do my shakeout run? Like. Nailing it down makes things feel much less daunting, you know? Mm-hmm. And then in the race, knowing that we don't know how other people feel. I think so often we assume that we're feeling the most pain and it's probably not true. And so just like, accept like now and never think again that you're in the most pain. You just probably aren't. And it's not <laughs> useful. It's not useful, right? Yeah. That.
0: Yeah. What is... This is the last one. What is your biz- biggest success that you've had in your life?
1: Um, well, I think, you know, the right <laughs> answer would be like overcoming my depression, because that's like a more internal thing. Um, you know, I'm trying to shift my focus a little bit more from being overly fixated on my external accomplishments. So I do think that that was my biggest success because I'm like, alive and able to tell the story um but I am I am really really proud of this book because I think it actually communicates what I intended it to and that can be really hard when we're trying to like you know we could think one thing and experience one thing but to try to get other people to experience it with you whether it's just a conversation or a book or a movie is really really hard and I'm quite I'm really really proud of that. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to read it. I'm literally about to go download it off of Apple books or whatever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> I am. I literally am after this like, podcast. Um, me, I like, I feel like you're uh, like of that, like you are of the exact age where I'm like, if this speaks to you, that is the greatest gift of all, honestly. Cause I care deeply about like younger bravies. I really do. Cause I know like what it feels like to be that yeah. age. Like I just want to know what to do or <laughs> like, I yeah. want something, I want someone to help. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: Well, I'll let you know my thoughts. I'll probably finish it in like one day. I just know myself. If I'm into a book, I'll finish it in a day. So mm-hmm. I'm excited. Um, well, the last thing, do you have any, do you have like one piece of advice that you would give someone that's younger or like your younger self?
1: Yes. I think that you will not feel the way you feel right now forever meaning like we do grow and change. Um, Try to have only lessons, meaning like no, try to see any regret you might think is a regret as like truly just a lesson. Um, And try, this is the hardest one, to see whatever you're going through now from the vantage point of like your later self, because I think often our later selves are like so proud and nostalgic of our younger selves. And we're like, oh, that was like, that was like really something. And like, I'm trying and it's so hard to like think about that more in the present where I'm like, this is adorable how hard I'm trying and how much this sort of sucks, like whatever it is, or like, it's so great, you know? And so I think the more we can like, just try to like amuse in our current state, the better. Cause we're always gonna feel, I think we'll feel more proud later on so just like try and have like drop more feeling of that in the present makes it- I love that.
0: <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is such a good conversation. I'm sure a lot of people got a lot out of it, including me, selfishly. So- <laughs> Get, it. Get it,
1: keep getting it. You go mentor fishing, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, where can people like follow you at? I'm sure most people probably already do follow you that are listening to this, but where, where can they find you? They can find me on-
1: My Instagram at Alexi Pappas (laughs) A-L-E-X-I-P-A-P-P-A-S.
0: And go check out her new book, Bravey. I'm about to go read it right now, so you can join me. Thank you, Alexi, for coming on. Um, to close out the episode, can we get a peace out, fellas? Peace out, fellas. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Combos Over Cold Brew. Big shout out to Riley F for supporting the podcast. I give one of my supporters a shout-out in each episode so if you're interested in supporting it's super easy it's just the anchor platform and the link is in the show notes and if you want us freeway to support that really helps the podcast i really appreciate if you rate and review on apple podcasts it helps grow it organically and i just love like reading your guys's reviews it seriously makes my day and just hearing your thoughts about the podcast if you want to be up to date on episodes or even submit listener questions follow combos over cold brew pod on instagram thank you guys so much for listening and i will hear from you guys in the next one peace out fellas